Hello, everyone. It is great to be with you guys. Uh, my name is Joe. If we haven't had the chance to meet before, I'm one of the lead pastors here at our Bath campus. And we're going to be kicking off a series uh, this weekend uh, for the next few weeks. And Jeff is kind of doing some senior pastor things. And so if you've only been around Grace for a little while, whether you're here in person or whether you're watching online, uh, we are a multi-campus church. And so uh, our whole vision here is to continue to multiply what Jesus is doing into different communities and allow people to see personally what Christ is doing by multiplying the church as well. And so we say our vision is 30 and 30. We're gonna have 30 campuses in 30 years. Uh, it's a really neat thing. So we have six local kind of Northeast Ohio campuses, three more out of state. And Jeff is kind of interacting with those campuses here and, and leading in those ways. And so we've been uh, talking about this particular topic for a while. And I'm excited to kind of kick that off with you here here uh, this weekend and kind of dive uh, right in. Uh, where we kind of want to start is this idea that it seems like each and every one of us have um, this, this, uh, this thing that rests in our head and it's narratives, right? It's the way that our brain works, where it seems like these, these sentences, these thoughts, these like automatic things seem to happen to each and every one of us. And they're these, they're these regular narratives where we think to ourselves uh, kind of subconsciously, this is how life works. This is what has to happen. This is how things are done. And it impacts us from all different angles, right? Like some of us, that's the way that uh, we're, we're raised, right? Depending upon our family structure growing up, maybe it's something that our mom always told us, our dad. Uh, maybe it's something a teacher uh, just kind of instilled in you early on. Maybe it's the way that the culture interacts, right? And you see this thing on TV or movies or the news, and suddenly these narratives start to write themselves into our brains, and that's how we want to interact with everything. And so as we kind of dive into that, like we see that sometimes our brain kind of operates on autopilot and it alters the way or it changes the way and certainly informs the way that we think about things and then want to act on certain things. And so this is a big, big deal. And I started to think through well, what are some of these narratives that, I'm com uh, that are in common with the way that I think on a normal basis or that I've heard other people say that seem kind of subconscious. One of them that I grew up with, I'm not sure if this is how you were or not, but mom was like, you better clean your plate. Right, like that was just something that was uh, ingrained in me from the get-go, and let's just say I have checked that box too many times. Right, like it is something that like I have to clean. I have to. I have to. Like even when you go to like restaurants and they give you the plates full of the stuff, I'm like challenge accepted. Right, like my mom said I have to, therefore I will. I'm in. Right. Uh, I remember my teachers kind of like if I would do good in school, you know, they would say, "Hey, good job," which they should. Right. Some of you might be teachers, and you're like, "Yeah, of course." I want to encourage the kids. Well, I got to tell you that like locked into my brain to the point to where like I start to subconsciously define my worth and my value by assigning it to the things that I do or the things that I achieve, right? Like Enneagram threes, anybody? Like it's just the way in which I naturally am wired that if I get these things done, that means that I have value. That means that I have worth. That certainly gets in there. Here's one that I remember kind of clicking late in elementary school or even in the middle school. Um, it was that singing will get the girl. 
uh, right? And so uh, I, I loved being in choirs and stuff like that. I was always a weird anomaly. Like I was, you know, the co-captain of the football team who also was like in a show choir and like mixed those worlds together and it was fun and stuff. But I remember thinking like, surely if I sing, right, to, to the girl of my dreams, she'll just melt in front of me and want to be my wife forever. And that played itself out even. My very first girlfriend in seventh grade, I had a solo uh, in middle school. Anybody remember the song, I Swear? I Swear. Right, like I sang that for a talent show and like the next day this girl was like, do you want to be my boyfriend? You know, and I'm like, yes, see, it worked. The singing thing worked. Well, as God would have it, my wife doesn't care at all uh, about singing. And so I had to rewire that, right? Um, How about kind of a more serious one, right? Where people that don't look like me don't like me or vice versa. If you don't look like me, I don't know that I like you or replace like with respect or whatever. We see certain things and we start to associate it with other things, whether it's historical, cultural, political, you name it. We start to see certain colors or we start to see certain uh, banners or flags or phrases and we start to automatically run these scripts of what that person must be like, right? And so those narratives run out. Or how about this one? Uh, And I'm going to have you fill in the blank here at the end. And so uh, you're driving down the road, right? Or you're riding down, and all of a sudden the light turns from green to yellow. So now that you have a yellow light, of course you... Yeah, half of you are like, you slow down. It means caution, Pastor Joe. And half of you are like, punch it, I heard, which is challenge accepted, right? Like, I'm in, right? Like, we're going for it. Because if it's yellow, that means they're not going. So I'm, I'm going to, right? But those scripts, as a matter of fact, you might have even felt a little bit of your opinion nature kind of tense up there for a second. Because, like, my wife is like, you slow down, Joe. Like, please, please slow down when you're going through... And I'm like, why would you ever do that, right? Like it's so naturally wired into the narratives of our minds that it starts to become like, this is how life works. Well, as our team was kind of talking about this and praying through this concept, we kind of came back to this idea that a lot of us, when we get stuck in life, Right When we feel like there's something, there's a roadblock in our life, whether it's situational, uh, maybe it's something professional or relational, suddenly we realize that these narratives really start to push us in the ways that we're going to respond. We often don't even necessarily make like fully conscious decisions. We just react the way that we kind of subconsciously were taught to react or the way that these narratives inform us to And so as we kind of watch that happen, we realize that these narratives are often related to inadequacy, right? And so all of us at some point in time in life have felt like we were inadequate to meet some standard or inadequate to go down some path or inadequate to pursue some type of relationship or maybe even inadequate to be close with God. And as we kind of fight through those inadequacies, if we're not careful, it's so easy that those automatic narratives inform how we interact with all of those things. So here's, here's a place where this kind of reared its ugly head in my life somewhat recently. So um, it's funny, when I first started, I'm like, oh, this might be good for uh, my notes this weekend. I started with a couple months ago, and then as I was refining my notes and praying through everything, and I'm like, you know, I want to make sure I have this story right, I realized that Eight months ago, uh, so eight months ago, uh, Mandy and I and my daughter went to sleep, 
And while we were asleep, we, uh, we, just, we had a wonderful toilet valve leak happen in our upstairs bathroom. And so, of course, we didn't know it. We're, we're sleeping. And we wake up, and we go downstairs to the kitchen, and the ceiling tiles have been soaked, and like 10 of them have fallen to the, the countertop and the floor, and there's water all over the kitchen counter and floors, and there's water on the, ba- the bathroom floor upstairs, and it's just an absolute mess. And I'm like, what do you do? And of course, I go to grab a bucket, and I'm trying to dry things up, and I throw the towels into the basement after they're soaked and you know just trying to kind of scramble and like to be honest if I'm just being totally honest it took me two hours to think to myself turn the water valve off Joseph like yeah okay some of you are like you can do that some of you are like this guy is a moron okay so like but I finally get the water off call my buddy who's a plumber he comes over he takes care of the toilet valve check that part's at least done but as I go back downstairs to the kitchen, I just see this gaping hole in the tiles. And of course, I had some extra tiles just in case something bad happened, but there's like 15 tiles that are destroyed. I have nine left, right? So that's like, well, I guess I had to get more tiles. They, of course, don't sell that kind of tile anymore. And so now that means I have to redo the entire kitchen ceiling. Did I mention this story started eight months ago? And the reason that that's prevalent is because I still have a hole in my ceiling. Why is that? right? Like, why is it that eight months have gone by? And subconsciously, I thought it was only two. It was just the holidays. The holidays are crazy. You know, I got things going on, right? But it it happened in July, July 10th to be exact. had the picture to prove it. Like, and so it happened in July. Why on earth do I still have this hole in my ceiling? Now, I had to really dig into this. Like, why, why did I let that happen? Like, I want to fix it. I know I need to fix it. As a matter of fact, I kind of, sort of, think I can fix it. I'm not the guy that's just, like, I'm not gonna just, you know, call up a contractor, like, hey, whatever it costs, get over here, fix my ceiling. Like, I'm just not that guy, right? And I have done some projects before, but certainly not enough to just gonna be super, super easy. But I'm, I'm not a contractor, I'm not a drywaller, I'm not a tiler, I'm not all of these different things. So it feels a little bit foreign to me. And even that little bit of confidence that I have that I can probably figure it out is just like, well, I'll start it next weekend. Right? Because I, what, if, what if I mess it up? Right? Like, what, what if I, I try to tear down the ceilings and there's the rest of the tile and there's more problems? Right? What if I run into some type of mold issue? Or what if I run into this? Or what if I run into that? And so I'm like, well, I'll just, I, I'm, I'm busy today. I'm busy this weekend. I'll start it next weekend. And then, well, what if when I put the boards up, like, what if the nailer malfunctions? And what if I'm left with this and I don't like it? What if I stain it wrong? What if I do this? And all of these questions start to swirl through my head. And that's why, apparently, for eight months, I think, keep thinking to myself, I'll just start it next weekend. Like, I know that I have inadequacies in this area. Otherwise, I'd have full confidence. Like, those of you that do this kind of work on a regular basis, like, Joe, it's just a seal. There are so many ways to do this. It's not going to be that big of a deal. But if I haven't done it before, it does feel that way, right? I have those inadequacies, like, kind of swirling around in my mind and heart. And then they get compounded, Because now that it's been eight months and I realize it's been eight months, I'm like, so my wife, she's okay with the hole in the ceiling for at least eight months, right? And she's not judging me for not handling this already, right? And my daughter's like, okay, like she's cool and more tiles aren't going to fall on their head and okay, and the few people we've had over at our house in the meantime, more than once, they didn't look and go, still? Really? There's still a, like, and so now... 
it starts to feel like almost like this social inadequacy, like, Joe, why haven't you handled this? Right now, half of you are judging me. Like, it's just this idea that our inadequacies start to seep in, and they're all informed by those narratives, right? So this is a big deal, because a lot of times when we're going through life, and we feel stuck, or we feel like, man, I've been wanting to do this thing forever, but I keep putting it off. This has been a New Year's resolution for me for 18 years running, and I'm exactly in the same spot. I've been in the same rut relationally. I feel like I'm at a point of no return with my marriage. I feel like I'm already stuck in a career path, and I'm only 17 years old. What am I supposed to do? I don't know where to go. College is asking me these questions. I don't know what the answers are. You start to feel stuck, and so you start just kind of slowing down. You pump the brakes and you're like, I don't know what to do. And so I'm going to figure it out later. These narratives can really start to mess with us. And of course, spiritually speaking, this starts to inform how we interact with God. And so we start to say things to ourselves about even God. We're like, well, apparently I'm just not wired to be super spiritual. Apparently, I'm just never going to have that close relationship with God that I hear some other people talk about. That's just not how I am. That's just not how I'm wired. Or I've tried, or I used to be there, or, and you start to fill in your blanks, and those narratives start to go on repeat to the point to where we believe them. This is really important to understand and very important to know because what we think especially what we think about ourselves, is super important. The way that we understand how we think and what we think about ourselves is so important. But if we find ourselves stuck in these narratives, what do we do about it? Like, do I have to become a contractor that has an MBA, that has a Bible degree, that has a counseling certificate? Right? Do I have to also get my you know, nutrition and fitness certification and make sure that I have these things all lined up and become a professional in 18 areas of my life and then I'll finally know what I'm supposed to do no matter what comes at me? First of all, impossible. And secondly, certainly, there's gotta be more. It can't be the top 0.001% of people that somehow figure this thing out in life, that they don't have these narratives. Like, what is it that allows us to move past these places where we're stuck? Well, here's the amazing news. God, that's Velcroed, uh, God can rewrite the narrative, our narratives into something life-giving by reminding us of our core identity. God can rewrite these narratives into something that's life-giving by reminding us of who we are, our core identity. Now, some of you are like, right, that's right. I need to make sure I understand this and get back to, to it. Others of us are thinking to ourselves, are you sure? Is that really what God does? Does our identity really matter that much? And how do I even do this? How do I let God start rewriting these narratives? Some of us have been, you know, kind of along in the faith for a while. We're like, I'm not sure how that happens. Well, thankfully, he starts to unravel that for us in the scripture. And that's actually what we're going to spend time in this series doing. 
is kind of looking at a lot of these narratives or a lot of these inadequacies, but more specifically, looking to God and looking at who he is and how that begins to inform who we are so that we actually have a fighting chance to see these narratives rewritten so that we stop getting stuck at the same barriers in the same places that maybe some of us have been for a very, very long time. And to do this, we're going to dive into the book of Ephesians. And so if you have a Bible or if you'd like to open a physical one, uh, you can get there into that. Um, and, and we're going to be in Ephesians chapter one. This is going to be fantastic. Um, we're going to spend the bulk of our time there for all three of these weekends. And Ephesians is a little bit of a treasure trove. But of course, you can also find uh, that passage by Googling it, the Bible app, or even on the Grace Church app. You'll see it there. But we're going to be in Ephesians, and it's such a treasure trove of Scripture. There's really so much in Ephesians about who God is, about who we are as followers of Christ, what he's done for us, and how that can and should begin to play itself out in our lives. And so I might even challenge you, especially if you're someone that's like, I know I probably should read the Bible a little bit more than I do. I just don't know exactly where to be. I would encourage you just to kind of park in Ephesians, right, for, these, for this month, right, the rest of February. Like, let's just park in there. Let's read a chapter a day. It's only six total chapters. And maybe just read it on repeat, right, and let these things really start to seep into our minds and hearts. And so we're going to ask this question, what can God tell me about who he is and who I am, and can that please change some of these narratives and these false inadequacies in my life? So let's go ahead and start right there, Ephesians 1, verses 1 and 2. It starts this way, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, to God's holy people in Ephesus, the faithful in Christ Jesus, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, if you've been someone that has read the Bible or read parts of the Bible uh, for any length of time, if you're like me, you're tempted when you open up to a new letter like this to kind of like quickly breeze through the first two verses. It's like, Paul, an apostle Jesus Christ, grace and peace to you. Okay, what are you going to say though? Let's get past that and let's get into what you're going to say. Paul is someone, he's the, he's the one that wrote this book. He's, the, he's one of the main church leaders at the time and he wants to start showing us something. And what I love about how he kicks this letter off is he actually gets right into what we're talking about it kind of subconsciously. He reminds himself and he reminds his readers who he is in Christ. He's like, I'm an apostle of Christ Jesus. I'm someone that God has set up to be a leader and an initiator of this thing that we now call the church. I'm someone that's starting these things and it's completely on God's accord. This isn't something that I stepped into. This isn't something that like, I want to be an apostle, therefore I'm gonna fight and work hard and get my spiritual MBA and I'm gonna make sure all this happens because I wanna be an apostle. No, God said, I want you, Paul, to be an apostle. It's the will of God. And then, He's reminding his readers who they are, right? So he says, to God's holy people in Ephesus, right? So obviously it's those that live in Ephesus, and that's where you get the word Ephesians from. That's who he's writing to. But it's God's holy people. Holy means set apart. Holy means called out. He means that you are set apart for something that God is doing. And I want to remind you of that before I get into anything else. And then he also says, the faithful in Christ Jesus. Those of you that are still fighting to fulfill and understand what this means to follow Jesus, I'm talking to you. I'm reminding you that you're holy, that you're set apart, and that you can be faithful. And then he says grace and peace 
to you from God our Father and Lord Jesus Christ. He's helping us remember, or he's instructing those that maybe we never knew this before, that is a part of God's holy people. When God has called you into life like this, that grace, that that mercy, that, that undeserved merit and favor is available to you, and so is God's peace. This isn't just frivolous greeting language, you know, like to whom it may concern sincerely. This is Paul on purpose saying, as a follower of Jesus, grace is there for you, peace is there for you. And some of us, if we're just being honest, when we think about our internal narratives and how they just start going on overload, that alone right there is something that we desperately need. I need to rest in the grace of Christ. And I need to know that if I need peace, if I want peace, that it comes from him. Now we have more to get into tonight, but some of us just need to park right there. That that is the narrative that needs rewritten in our minds. Now, as we're talking about where we want to go for this whole series, I want you to skip down for just a moment to verse 18 and 19. Because I think this is where Paul lands a little bit of like, this is why I'm writing to you language. And I love this. It says, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people, and his incomparably great power for us who believe. Paul wants us to be enlightened. This is one of the reasons why slowing down and reading the Bible is so important. This, once again, is not some arbitrary word that Paul is using. What he's alluding to by using the word enlightened is he's reminding us or he's instructing us that there are things that we very possibly don't yet see, that we don't understand, that there's light that needs to be shown into a dark place in our life. There's something that hasn't yet been rewired that we don't see clearly. And he is saying, I pray that God will open up your heart that you can be finally enlightened on the things that God is trying to communicate to us. And what does he want us to understand? What does he want us to know? Is it just so that we can be enlightened so that we're smarter or so that we're more educated or so that we feel like we're really good Bible students and we now understand this ancient passage that was written to the Ephesians and you know what Paul meant, but is that why he wants us to be enlightened? No, it's to know the hope to which he has called you. To know, right? This is not simply, oh, okay, I got it. Like, I see that phrase, got it, I know it. This is, I want you to experientially know this. I want you to know and understand and rest and trust in the hope to which he is called. Some of us, when we think about these places where we're stuck, Maybe it's relationships, right? Maybe it's professional. Maybe it's in school. Maybe it's something psychological. Maybe it's anxiety. Wherever it is you feel, you're stuck. Jesus wants to enlighten you to know that there is hope for you. And this isn't just a little thing like, oh, okay, cool. Like, that's simple. He'll open our eyes. We'll experience some of the hope. Cool, I got it. Then he illustrates just how immense this is. He says, the riches, not the glimmer, not the sparkle, not the little thing over here that if you really look hard, you'll start to slightly experience. No, he says, the riches, right, of his glorious inheritance. And even then, 
not his half-hearted inheritance, not his bad inheritance, not his mediocre inheritance, not his neutral inheritance, his glorious inheritance. I want you to know, I want you to fully trust and rest that God is giving you hope in this grand gesture of his riches and glorious inheritance. And if that sounds like something foreign to you, well, that's the prayer of this passage. I want you to be enlightened to this. I want you to know this and discover it and experience in the way that you were created to, that you're called to by God himself. This is so important because if Paul said, I am the person that has your hope, or if Joe Caruso said, I'm the person that has your hope, I would start to feel like some random motivational speaker that just says, I found the secret, buy my book, it's $29.99, like, and here's all the secrets to life, right? But that hope is in Christ. That hope is in God. That hope is in our Savior. And this is important because if we want to see our narratives rewritten, if we want to see those inadequacies start to fade away, then we have to understand that equally as powerful as understanding what our narratives are is that our beliefs are only as powerful as the source. And so it's not being enlightened to a new life trick. It's not being enlightened to something that sounds positive and like, you know, pick yourself up by your bootstraps and you got this, right? He's enlightening us to God. That when we understand who Christ is, when we understand who God the Father is as he calls us to himself, that actually lays the foundation of the power that makes it possible to see those narratives rewritten in our minds, to see those addictions come unraveled, to see that relationship have a possibility at restoration, to see the ability to actually take steps forward where we feel the most stuck, when we trust in who God is, when he shows us the eternal perspective. And he begins to tell us who we are in that something magical and wonderful is about to happen. Now, now let's scroll back up. We're going to get right back into verse 3 and see what Paul is going to start to unfold for us on understanding who he is and who we are. Verse 3 says, Praise be to God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love, he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will. Now, I'll be honest. I mentioned Ephesians is a treasure trove. And there's a lot here that we can unpack probably for months. But in light of this conversation, there's a couple of things I really want to kind of pull out and give you a few nuggets of the hope that Paul is praying for right here. And we're going to just kind of kick it off by looking at what's in verse 4. He says, for he chose us in him before the creation of the world. He chose us. Many of us if you're wired like I am and you're hearing a talk like this and you start to think about narratives and you start to think about the places that you're stuck and you start to think about all the different things that you could do differently and better, like that's where your mind kind of starts naturally doing. Some of you are taking notes and you've actually been writing it down a to-do list of I need to start doing this and this better and stop doing this. Like your mind, one of your narratives 
is so locked in to what you need to do or what you need to fix that it's very easy to miss that a huge part of what God is trying to do is help you to rest in who you are. He's trying to show you who you were created to be. I mentioned that one script that runs through my mind about what I do determines my value. That is a lie. We can't do enough to fix this. We can't earn it. We can't solve it on our own. It's actually kind of the definition of the gospel or the truth of Christ, the story of Jesus, that we need him to miraculously and supernaturally change things on the inside, upside down, so we even have this possibility. And what's wonderful about that stance, what's wonderful about that position for us as we would be connected with God is this passage doesn't say... For he understood all the things that you did correctly and all of the right opinions that you hold so dearly. And because you're right and correct and have done enough, you're a part of his family. That's not what it says. He chose you. He chose you. This is a huge, like, do not let that just skip on by. He wants you. He chose you. This only happens through Christ. This is not, again, something we can just do on our own or that we can earn. We weren't chosen because we're worthy. We're chosen because he said so. That is a game changer because some of us have narratives even fighting against this right now that you're not good enough that you haven't done enough, you don't know enough, you haven't been around long enough. Joe, you don't know my story. Joe, you don't know what I've been through. You don't know what I'm addicted to. You don't know, and so on. Those narratives are running through your mind, and Paul is trying to help us understand God is reaching out and saying, I chose you. Write that down, because this is something that we cannot let escape who we are. God chose us. Now the second thing I wanna pull out, this next nugget, is that in love, he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ. We were adopted through Christ. God made us his children. So it wasn't, I chose you to work in the salt mines. I chose you just to be over here in the corner, be quiet, don't talk to me, don't bug me. I just apparently had to choose somebody. No, he he adopted you into his family. He made us children through the work of Christ. Jesus is the one that has done enough for all of us. Jesus' work is the one that has allowed this to happen. And now we join him as his children. My daughter, uh, she's, she's playing in game day. So she just wrapped up. Uh, her, her, she's one of the first half of our game day season. She just wrapped up her season today. She's six. And she plays basketball like she's six. I'll leave it at that in case she ever sees this, right? I'm not watching that game this weekend 
thinking to myself, you know, I'd love you more if you dribbled better. I'd, I'd love you more if you knew when to pass the ball versus when to shoot. I'd love you more if you'd pay attention. Like, why are you just skipping around the court, <laughs> right? Like, the ball's down here. You're picking false dandelions on a gym court. Like, I, I, how is this possible? But you're just over here in La La Land. I'd love you more if you'd pay attention. For those of you in the room that are parents, that's absolutely, you know, it's absurd. I don't love you more or less because you did or didn't do things, right? I just love you with everything I've got. This imagery is not by accident. This imagery is God trying to tell you, you're my child. You are my daughter. You are my son. I love you. I chose you. And so I get it. You get stuck sometimes. I get it. You mess up sometimes. I get it. You fill in the blank. You know your narratives. You're my child. Let that start to rewrite in our minds. The passage continues. It's in accordance with his pleasure and will. You didn't sneak in. God the Father didn't look at Jesus one day and said like, you know, for this whole thing to work out, maybe you should go round up some humans. God the Father was like, I am so excited to call Brett, to call Bob, to call Paul, to call Beth, to call Glenn, to call May Lee, to call these people into my, it is in accordance with my pleasure and will. This is exactly what I wanted to do. You didn't sneak in the back door, right? You didn't like hide under something and all of a sudden he uncovers that little spot and he's like, oh, you're here? Oh, well, since you're here, I guess I'm supposed to let you have access to some of these things. Like, no, he chose you. You're his kid and he loves it. It's in accordance with his pleasure, and he meant to do it. This is not by accident. You wanting even a little bit more of who God is is not something to sniff at. It is God at work in your life to show you, to remind you who you are in him. You see, it doesn't matter when we think about those narratives in our head. It doesn't matter if we think we're not good enough. You are who you are because of his goodness. His goodness is what defines what our value is and what our worth is, what our dignity is, who our, what our identity is. His goodness. It doesn't matter if you failed what you think one too many times. Because his grace is sufficient. His grace covers it. Paul, the writer of this book, in another place, he says, of all the sinners, I'm the chief, I'm the worst. And yet sometimes we have those narratives that play out. That I'm, I'm, not, I'm too far gone. I've done too much. I'm too bad. I'm too sinful. You can't possibly let me. And God says, grace my grace is sufficient. It doesn't matter if you think you don't belong. It doesn't matter if one of your narratives is, I'm not sure I fit in. I'm not sure I can be a part of the people of God that want more to do with Jesus. I'm not sure what to do with that. I'm not sure that I have a place. Because you're holding 
God's invitation. He chose you. That's a pretty powerful invitation. You're a part of what he's doing on purpose. You're listening to this on purpose. God is doing something in your life right now that maybe you don't even fully comprehend, but it's all because he's doing something on purpose that he's excited about in you. God chose us to be his children and not by accident. You see, God and his word rewrite these narratives in our minds by reminding us what it is to have our lives and our identities firmly rooted in him. I want to take a quick look at who we are as a Christ follower. And I could have went on and on and on in this, but let's check a few of these things out. As a Christ follower, you are a new creation. Maybe mentally right now, you just need to say that phrase. I am a new creation. The old is gone. The new has come as that passage continues. You are a new creation. God is rewiring, right? He is rewriting your very identity when you are a follower of Christ. You are God's workmanship. You're not an accident. He knows exactly what he's put in you. You're like, but I'm not very good at some of these things. He's like, I know, and I still love you and chose you to be a part of it. It's fine. I'm a royal priesthood. Like, you're not just in the fold. You're not just the peasants. You're not just here on the outside trying to sneak in again, but you are part of the royal priesthood. You're part of what he's doing in the most upper echelons of what he's doing. It continues, there's so much. I am no longer condemned. Some of you need to like write this on a three by five note card and like plaster it over your speedometer. Okay, maybe not the speedometer, but maybe the odometer or something like. And you just need to remind yourself There is no condemnation. I am no longer condemned. Jesus forgives sin. Christ lives in me. I love this. It's one of my favorite passages. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. That you want to start seeing some of those things take place in your life. He'll start rewiring all those things that, fall, or that funnel through your brain. And he'll start living through you. And you'll start saying things and doing things. You're like, I didn't see that coming from anywhere. And he's like, I know. I'm living through you. I'm a friend of God. Again, not an enemy, not an outcast. You're a friend. He loves to be with you. I'm a child of God, right? I have that standing. I'm a citizen of heaven. I don't have to have a passport to go home at the end of my life. I'm in. That's where I belong, is in God's house with his people, right? I am more than a conqueror. You're like, I don't know how to get past this, Joe. I am stuck. And God is saying in me, if you'll let me rewrite this and rewire you, you're more than a conqueror. Not you might be able to conquer it. You're more than a conqueror. If you'll let me rewire these things, game on. And you see, these these inadequacies that we find, they fight against these truths, don't they? Some of us, we're reading these phrases and we're like, Joe, I'm not sure I can rest there yet. I'm not sure I believe that yet. But these narratives, again, are not about what we believe. They depend upon the author 
The author is trying to rewrite these things into your minds and hearts. And if these things don't resonate with you yet, if the rest of the places, the hundreds of places where the scripture, God's word, God himself is trying to show you and share with you who you are in him don't resonate with you, well, when we spend the needed amount of time with God, the narrative of our false identi- our inadequacies is interrupted and rewritten. That I wrote this down in my notes, and I want you to as well. This is a big deal. We have these narratives of these false inadequacies. We need them interrupted, and we need them rewritten. How? By spending the needed amount of time with God. By spending the needed amount of time with God. You're like, I've, I've been trying, Joe. I, I, I read a devotional every morning. I say my prayers at bed. I listen to a couple of songs every once in a while, and it just doesn't seem to click. Well, I don't know how to put this, but that's all fine and good, but apparently you need more time. I, I've, been, I've been doing this study, and I just, I feel like God wants to do more, and I'm just missing something. Okay, well, you need more time with him. I read, I read a verse like that, and it sounds so good for the moment. It's, it feels so good when I'm sitting here listening to it, but then I walk away from the service. I get up from my couch. I, I do these things, and all of a sudden, it's like my narratives start flooding back in, Joe. I don't know what to do with that. You, you need more time with God. These narratives that flood our minds, these inadequacies that we're so tempted to believe are who we are, can only be interrupted and rewritten by spending the needed amount of time with him. It's the only way. If those are still flying around in your head, more time with Jesus. It's kind of a win-win. You either have these rewritten or you need more time with Jesus. Those are pretty good options. You see, so many of us, again, are wired that like, well, I just gotta try harder. But it's not that. God is saying, I want you to be renewed. Some of us are so wired to say, I got to get it together. I got to make this happen. I got to just try harder. Again, I got to, I guess, got to make it happen. God's like, no, 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 no. I want you to come hang out with me. Some of us are so wired to just say, like, go get them. I can make it happen. Write down my goals. We're still doing that. We even talked about it earlier in this message, and you're still thinking that way. And God's like, no, no, no. Just come follow me. Come be with me. Come hang out with me. If you want these things re- rewritten and rewired, we need to spend that time with Jesus. We have to do what we need to do to allow God to overrule those false narratives. If the falsehoods are what's spinning around, then we need more time with him. Now, some of us tonight, this is one of the first times you've heard a concept like this and what you need right now is to almost pause just right here. You need to rest and who God is, who he's made you to be, and the fact that he has chosen you. 
That that alone, if we're being honest, feels so foreign that that's where you need to park. That that's what you need to rest in. And as you read through Ephesians or you read in through, especially the New Testament, and you start to absorb God, who am I in you? And we need to allow our identity to be written by our creator. Some of us, maybe that resonates. This is a fantastic reminder. And we need to extend this understanding to other people. There's someone in your life that needs to know that they're chosen, that they're loved, that God is reaching out to them and he's inviting them into his family. And maybe it's someone you don't even know yet. Maybe it's someone that finds themselves in a circumstance where there's just nobody in their life that's ever going to help them understand this on their own. Maybe it's someone in a neighborhood over, a community over, a country over. And God is saying, I want to use you to give my story away to people so that they start resting in who they are and can call themselves children of God. And some of us, we need to accept this for the very first time. You've been around the faith maybe for a little while. You've been trying to figure out what it means to be a follower for a little while. And you're still trying to do it. You're still trying to earn it. You're still trying to make it happen. And God is saying, come to me. Allow me to forgive you. Allow me to renew your mind and heart and let me show you what life is connected to me. Will you put your attempts and your failures and your striving to the side and finally just trust me? Will you give your life to me? You see, he's in the process of choosing you and you're in this place where you're gonna either accept it or not. But the only way these things are possible that we're talking about, the only way to see those things rewritten is to see God pour into your life. I mentioned this ceiling project I have. You know how it's gonna get done? I'm gonna call my dad. <laughs> right? It is, that's exactly what I'm gonna do. I'm gonna call my dad and he's gonna come over and we're gonna do it together. I trust him. He's done this kind of stuff hundreds of times. He knows what he's up to. He knows the challenge. And even if I mess it up, he'll know the best workaround. He'll know how to fix it. And he'll start showing me how to do it. Next time your toilet valve leaks and creates a hole in your ceiling, this is what you need to do, right? And he'll show me and I'm gonna feel more confident because he's there and in the future, I'm gonna feel more confident because I've done it with him and he's still just a phone call away. Our heavenly father can put the hole together in your ceilings. If you'll allow him to be with you when you feel stuck, when you feel like there's no options, when you feel like you're just not good enough and you keep filling in the blanks of those narratives, just call him up. Let him do it with you. Let him show you how. Let him give you the power to overcome it. Let him rewrite the narratives that are consistently working in our minds.
when we rest in the Father, when we understand finally that we were chosen and we were made to be with him, our lives can be turned completely upside down. And all those inadequacies and all those false narratives can finally be rewritten. Wherever you find yourself in this, as the band comes out and leads us in a time of reflection and worship, don't allow those false narratives to start teasing you about what's next. Slow down. Let him mess with you. Let him remind you. Let him show you who you are because of who he is. Let's pray. Father God, you are so good. And it is so incredible to me that you're even interested in being with us. But there we have it over and over again, the reminders that you've chosen us, that you want to be with us, that you want to rewrite these things that are messing with us. And God, I pray that you would do something very unique in our hearts that you would begin to show us the next phase of our lives with you. Whether we're following you in a committed sense, whether we're kind of dangling around wondering what's next, or whether for the first time we realize, you know what, that's what I need. That's what I was created for. God, if you're choosing me, I'm in. God, as we pray, as we sing, as we worship, rewrite what's happening in our minds and hearts. It's in your name we pray, Jesus. Amen.